Five things to look for in a core Web Vitals report with Jan Willem Bobbink. InSearch SEO Podcast is brought to you by Rank Ranger, the all-in-one SEO platform that helps scale your business through data and analytics. Hey, it's David. What do you really need to be looking for in a core Web Vitals report? That's what we're going to be discussing today with a man who built his first online store when he was just 16 years old. Since 2011, he's fully focused on SEO and he's currently responsible for the international organic visibility for a broad range of SEO clients. A warm welcome to the Insert SEO podcast, Jan Willem Bobbink. Hello. Hello, Jan. Great to have you on. Well, you can find Jan over at notprovided.eu. Love the domain name. Yeah, I, uh, I actually scooped a number of the Not Provided ones. I actually sold a number of local extensions to other SEOs. So uh, when Google released the whole <laughs> idea about Not Provided, it was quite popular. But uh, I was I was quick in, in getting them. And is this to appeal to yourself, other SEOs, or, or do clients actually get it as well? Uh, I think... For me, most of my clients know what not provided is. So yeah, it's a it's a it's a nice brand uh, to be associated with it as an SEO because yeah, it shows I can use it as as a, a way to show what I'm actually can do for them uh, as an SEO consultant. Mm. I can help them out with their SEO questions. One of them is maybe answering what's behind the not provided segment in Google Analytics. It was a long time ago now that. Um, um, obviously, I mean, I, I remember um, SEO back in the day where um, Google Analytics would show you every single keyword, and then the not provided percentage crept up to ten percent, and then suddenly it went up a little bit more. When did it? I'm trying to remember what year did it actually raise its head and really become become a thing. Ooh, I can't remember. What I do remember is that people actually started to build trackers uh, on a weekly basis. They they checked for their clients' data and then they shared it with the uh, with the community. And then you saw it going up every week. Um, must have been like 2004, 2005, something like that. Yeah, yeah, a while yeah. ago, a while ago. Uh, so today we're obviously talking about Core Web Vitals. So, so what is a Core Web Vitals report? Yeah, so the topic for today is the uh, Core Web Vital um, reports that Google is actually providing us as a way to uh, get insights into how a website is performing for real users. So up until Core Web Vitals came into existence, we did have a PageSpeed Insights tools provided by Google, which was basically a um, one-moment static test of uh, analyzing how your uh, page was loading uh, in that specific case. So PageSpeed Insight runs in your browser, and at that moment in time with your connection settings and uh, all the things that come with your browser, you do a one-time check. Um, then Google said over time, we want to make sure that, uh, we service our clients, our users, the best as possible. So they said, okay, we need to find a way to make sure that users have a positive experience on the websites that we present to them in our rankings. So, uh, that's why they decided, okay, we do have access to browser data through Google Chrome. Um, and with the browser data, they can get a better feeling of how websites are actually performing instead of a one-time static test. So they've been experimenting with it and it turned out it was quite a good way of actually seeing differences between individual websites. So what they did initially was um, 
put it into their ranking system. And it turned out that it was a good way of um, measuring the performance of one site against another. And also seeing a relationship with users that were um, returning less to search engine results based on a better or worse performance. So that's why they made it actually a ranking signal. Um, whenever Google says something is a ranking signal, you do need to be a bit careful. Um, I tend to not take it too literally because there's hundreds of factors they can take into account. But what they did said, and I was quite amazed by it, that it would be a tiebreaker. And with that, it means that let's say your content is equally well-written as your competitor. Your link profile looks quite similar. Um, the authority of your domain or your history of your domain is quite similar. Then the faster or the higher um, performing uh, domain or page will trunk above the uh, worst performing page. So in, in saying that, Core Web Vitals uh, immediately became a really focused topic for many of the SEOs because it was something you could measure. There's multiple tools for it. Uh, it's data actually provided by Google to us SEOs. Um, and you can easily benchmark against your competitors. So in terms of um, making SEO more predictive, this was really a gemstone that was provided by Google because until now, for factors like content or links, we don't know if we do a better job than our competitors. But Core Web Vital report shows data about us, but also about competitors. So there's a clear way of comparing one website to another. Um, the other thing is that Go Web Vitals is measured through the browser, but before that, we were already used to using tools like PageSpeed Insights to actually optimize our websites to get a higher score on, on those kinds of tools. So the, the step from doing nothing and, and using Core Web Vitals as a uh, metric to benchmark against competitors was, was a small one. And I think for some SEOs, an easy one to make. Um, however, I think Google still makes it a bit complicated for like many stakeholders in, in companies like marketing managers because it, it's still a technical topic to actually implement optimizations for it. So um, I would say that's the biggest challenge and um, that's why we have five points to discuss about today. Yeah. So um, just to clarify, where can SEOs find this report? Yeah. So uh, Google has multiple sources. Uh, and the most obvious one is if you check a page through PageSpeed Insight tools, uh, Google does provide the data from the Core Web Vital data set if it's available. And that's a good thing to remind you of is Google doesn't share that data for all URLs and usually uh, it only shares for popular URLs. So you need to achieve a certain level of traffic uh, to be uh, presented in the public data set. So that's that's one thing. Um, the Core Web Vital data set is published every month. So I recommend following their uh, Twitter account. Um, you can mention it later in the show. Um, so then you can see where they actually updated the public data set. And that public data set can be used in any way you want. So it's basically a database that you can download or you can couple to Google Data Studio. There's Google Data Studio templates that actually, once you have it loaded in your, uh, or tied to your account, it will update every month automatically. Um, and I think the third most important way to actually see the data is in your Google Search Console. So. Right there in your search console, there's a, a report, site fatality, 
that shows how um, certain groups of pages are performing for the three main core web vitals. Uh, and that's individu individual page and, and website data um, that's updated on the fly. Uh, the only thing that you need to take care of is that you understand the fact that it's a 20-day average rolling uh, metric. That means that if you implement something today, it may take 28 days to actually uh, get into a uh, mode where you can see the actual values at that point. Um, that's also why I, I tell clients to find other ways to keep on checking the data points. So one, one thing you could do is uh, measure the core web vitals yourself on the fly and use Google Tag Manager, for example, to shoot them into your own Google Analytics setup. So instead of having to wait 28 days or a month before Google updates the public data set, it's also advised to measure the metrics themselves. So if you launch an improvement on your domain, then you can immediately see if the impact is positive or negative. And especially with, with all the recommendations that Google PageSpeed Insight gives, for example, or things you come up with yourself, some things are counterproductive. So sometimes you focus on optimizing one of the specific metrics uh, and indeed that one improves, but then the other one or the other two uh, will go down. So it's important to, what I usually do with the bigger clients is to actually run a B test, even for performance optimizations, because you never know uh, what works in a set environment, your own development environment works out for your actual um, group of, of users of your website. And as you've mentioned, you're also going to be sharing your five things to look for in a Core Web Vitals report. So starting off with number one, differences between specific segments. Yeah, so that's also, it ties in and into my last point. It's, it's really important to understand the group of users you have on your website. So the, the most obvious distinction is between mobile and desktop users. Um, but what you don't need to forget is you may have a group of uh, people that have slow connections or fast connections. Um, there may be a US-based group of people close to where you actually host your website. But next to that, there's a whole group of Indian visitors that need to connect from a whole different part of the world. So they will have a completely different experience. Um, they will have a different environment. They will have different mobile phones, for example, um, that may be much slower in processing JavaScript. So what I've seen in the in the past few years working on Core Web Fighters is that you need to reach a threshold of at least 75% of your users having a good experience for those three individual core web writers. But what often happens is that the, the bigger bunch of your um, users has a good experience, but then there's a really small subset of users that has a really poor experience. And that subset of users is, is bringing the whole average number down. So you need to, sometimes you really need to dive in to see and identify the group of users that's actually bringing the average down, because solving it for that group of users um, will make you reach the threshold. So the OID between making really specific segments is that you find and understand which group of users has the actually has actually the the worst experience possible, and and see what you can do about that. So um, that could mean that for certain devices you uh, set up a different website or um, you recommend downloading the app or whatever. Um, but since it's all about averages, it's, it's good to find the outliers. So on one hand, what are the devices, uh, environments that 
get the perfect scores and what are the outliers on the other side and have a really poor experience um, and how can you optimize for that and number two compare different page templates uh, for example a home page versus a category page uh, versus a category page versus a contact page yeah so one thing to keep in mind is uh, if google doesn't have enough page by page level data i will look to the overall domain uh, performance um, but it does mean that if you want to optimize for the averages of your whole website, you do need to segment on page by page level. As you can imagine, a home page often has a couple of images, not that much text, but it's it's fairly static. Um, so it's easy to load and cache, etc. But if you have a category page in a web shop, for example, um, there's many more images, often lots of product data. Uh, there's a completely different template and that may result in different uh, scores on uh, different levels. So what I often see is that people start optimizing um, for the obvious things that are present on every other page, like a header or a footer. Uh, but often the, the key to reaching the thresholds is more in the page-by-page -page approach, meaning that you will really have to dive into, okay, how is the, the category page performing? Why is the contact page not performing and the category pages. Uh, maybe the form on the contact pages is, is dynamic, pushing the page down, uh, causing a COS shift. So um, when benchmarking, also against the competitors, it's good to first identify all the different page types you have, the page templates that are with that, um, and compare those with your competitors. Because on the end, if you go back to what Google is using the data for, is on page by page comparison level in the rankings. So on a specific keyword, it, it checks how the performance of those individual pages are against each other. And number three, understand the difference between PageSpeed Insight scoring and CWS scores. Yeah, so PageSpeed Insights should be seen as a completely different uh, tool compared to Core Web Vitals. So the Core Web Vitals are measured in the browser um, by actual users. Uh, PageSpeed Insight is a static one-time test at that moment in time. Um, and the thing is, you can have a perfect PageSpeed Insight score of 100 uh, and still have a poor Core Web Vitals score. So if you tick all the optimizations that are recommended by the PageSpeed Insight scoring tool, um, you will get a 100 score. But if your server is still too slow um, or specific user groups have a uh, slow experience, then you can still have a bad Core Web Vitals scores. But it also works vice versa because some of the recommendations done in the PageSpeed Insight scores are counterproductive for your core web fighter scores. So you, you need to understand that one is a technical checklist and you get points for every yeah, item on the list that you can check. Um, and then you get a high PageSpeed Insight scores. Core web vitals are actually measured in the browser and represent how a user is um, experiencing the page. So both data sets are useful to actually make the platform better, the domain better performing, but you, you do need to make sure that you understand the differences between the sources of data and how they are calculated, how those scores are calculated. Because on, on one end, um, what I see with most of the bigger websites that have perfect core web vital scores, they usually don't score that high on PageSpeed Insight. There are exceptions, but if you look to sites like Amazon, don't expect high PageSpeed Insight scores, but they do have perfect Core Web Vitals scores. Because yeah, performance is key for those platforms, but they don't care about a yeah, checklist 
based by uh, PageSpeed Insights. It's it's more for it's for them. It's more about the actual performance and not about reaching high PageSpeed Insights scores. Taking us up to number four, be creative. LCP elements are sometimes easy to fix by making the elements smaller. Yeah, so uh, just for understanding, LCP means Largest Contentful Paint. And with that, Google means that um, the time between actually requesting the page and the element that's the biggest on the page is actually loaded. So there's a time frame between that. And it needs to be below two and a half seconds. Uh, because Google looks to how big certain elements are, um, what you can do is to actually, I wouldn't call it trick it, but have a good look at what the current element is that Google thinks is the, or sees as the biggest element. Um, and if you can't make that element faster loading, so let's say you have a blog and you have a big header image on every individual article, um, it could be that your server is just too slow to to uh, serve that image within the two and a half seconds. So instead of having the uh, header image as the biggest element, you may want to um, increase the font size of your main H1 header. Um, so the, the main heading of the page is bigger than your main image header. Uh, and by doing that, um, Google will detect the H1, the text, as actually being the, uh, the biggest element. So instead of trying to speed up the current element uh, that's being seen as the biggest element, biggest uh, content piece, you can try to change the element that's considered the biggest. Um, one of the things you often notice is that cookie warnings are considered as the LCP element, but cookie pop-ups often take lots of processing time to actually pop up because the browser needs to check if there is already a cookie installed and it needs to check against previous visits, etc. So that takes time. So what I've done with a couple of clients is to minimize the amount of text in such a cookie banner. So um, then another element on the page is considered the biggest element and then the whole score improves quite drastically. And the number five, prioritize page types by benchmarking against competitors. Yeah, so uh, as we share with point uh, two, there's a big difference often between uh, different page types. But also in terms of prioritization, uh, core web vitals are important, but it's a tiebreaker. So there's, there's other SEO activities that may bring in much more value for your client. So what I usually do, um, because clients are really uh, yeah, focused on core web vitals because they can actually understand it and measure it, uh, which is not the case with other SEO factors. However, what I try to do is to show them by benchmarking against competitors that rank for the similar keywords that they want to rank for, um, that there may not be a, a big difference between what they are doing and what the competitor are doing. I've had cases where when I did the benchmark, it turned out that they were doing uh, better than all of their competitors. So it doesn't make sense to um, put all the dev resources on optimizing something that won't bring any additional value. Because if you know you're the fastest performing website in your market, uh, I would say focus on content or links or whatever, uh, instead of having the exp expensive dev resources focus on something that won't bring in any value at the moment. Um, however, it's, it's good to keep an eye on that. So what I usually do is, because the monthly data set updates by Core Web Vitals uh, can also be used to track your competitors. It's to set up a dashboard that also brings in the competitor data every month. So you can at least keep a close eye on if your competitors are proofing, 
that you need to make sure that you keep on being the best in the market. Um, but yeah, showing and being honest against your clients um, about how you're uh, doing compared to your competitors, I think it's it's valuable for every uh, for every SEO. Great advice. Let's finish off with the Pareto pickle. So Pareto says that you can get eighty percent of your results from twenty percent of your efforts. What's one SEO activity you would recommend that provides incredible results for modest levels of effort? Yeah, that's an easy one for me. I think I've I've gotten most of the uh, quick wins out of optimizing internal linking. Um, many SEOs won't remember it, but uh, it's a, a technique called second page poaching, um, which originally came, I think, from Dennis Goedegebure when he was working with eBay. Um, and the whole idea behind it is that you look into your search console data, for example, see which pages are um, ranking around position 11, 15, uh, and then have a low number of internal links pointing to them. So Google already understands those pages, it already ranks them, but just not in the positions that actually deliver traffic. So a quick win could be is to add more internal links to those pages. Yeah, and then on the scale of eBay, of course, you, you can automate that uh, kind of thing. Um, the other thing is internal linking can often help Google discover uh, your new pages. So again, for bigger websites, often the challenge is to get Google to the pages that are new or are updated. So you may want to introduce dynamic elements within your pages that actually help Google find new product pages or new blogs written, etc. Yeah. Um, the other thing that's often not looked at in detail is the whole internal link structure to begin with, because most websites depend on their main navigation. Um, but forget about breadcrumbs or forget about related products or forget about latest products uploaded. So this, even for e-commerce, the default internal linking often looks okay. But if you download the whole website and check how the relationships between pages are, there's often big gaps in it. So um, yeah, that's, that's why for me, it's one of the quick wins I always try to begin with is making sure that the pages that are most valuable get most of the links um, and also relay that value back to lower pages in the structure or related pages if it's products or blocks or whatever. Um, and I think that's an, an easy quick win and there's multiple tools, there's multiple WordPress blog, uh, plugins to actually use if you have a blog to start linking out to related uh, blocks within your article or as a widget on the site, etc. Um, so yeah, even for smaller websites, I think this this value in, in making sure that you point Google to uh, the most relevant or new uh, pages. And I love your very specific advice there about how to go about selecting which pages to build more internal links to. Many people have shared for the section of the podcast internal linking as a quick win, but I don't think anyone's been a specific as you in terms of strategy of identifying pages that are ranking, for example, 11 to 15 or something like that. And then maybe, I guess, overlaying that with um, the potential opportunity based upon keyword volume that you're targeting for those keywords and then prioritizing those internal pages based on that. So, so I love it. You know, very, very specific uh, advice there. I've been your host, David Bain. You can find Yana over at notprovided.eu. Jan, thanks so much for being on the Insert SEO podcast. Thank you for hosting me. Have a nice day. And thank you for listening. Check out all the previous episodes and sign up for a free trial of the Rank Ranger platform over at rankranger.com.